Welcome to Count Four and You're In, a father and son podcast, where Harley Rodica chats to his dad, professional New Zealand drummer Marcel Rodica, delving deep into his history and journey into the heart of the Australasian music industry, taking on the world with New Zealand band Mother Goose and his survival as a working drummer today. So, Dad, how do you talk to girls? What do you mean, how do you talk to girls? Are you talking about the song? Yes, the song. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to... I probably have asked you that advice before. <laughs> I probably gave you the wrong advice, <laughs> knowing my track record. So that song, How Do You Talk to Girls, came to us via a songwriter called Steve Kipner, who has a huge uh, back catalogue of songs, hit songs, and artists that he wrote songs for. Mm. Um, Olivia Newton-John. Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. Okay. Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Diana Ross. Diana Ross. More recently, Christina Aguilera. That's who I was thinking of. <laughs> well done, you. Anyway, so there's a bunch of songs that songwriters send to record companies, yeah? Yeah. They're always looking for artists to record those songs, yeah? Yeah. So one day, the record company, Mushroom, came to us and said, oh, we have a song that might suit you guys. Would you like to hear it? So we had to listen to it, and it was called How Do You Talk to Girls? And first off, when we heard it, kind of liked it, but we really didn't like the lyrics. I mean, how do you talk to girls? How do you get to take them home? Was the the key hook <laughs> yeah, right. of the chorus. I mean, that's just something that Mother Goose would never, ever sing about. Yeah. Don't ask me why. We sung about relationships in our own sort of twisted way mm. and those sorts of things, but we would never write that lyric. How do you nah. talk to girls? How do you get to take them home? That's we would like, never do that. Like straight to the point, isn't it? Well, we, yeah, it's just something that <laughs> Mother Goose wouldn't do. Yeah. And that was its stumbling block. Yeah. We, we went back to Mushroom and said, look, thank you, but no thanks. It's not really for us. Yeah. So lo and behold, about... I don't know, three, four months later, the song comes on the radio and I go, oh, I know that song. It's called How Do You Talk to Boys? And it was given to Sharon O'Neill, okay. the New Zealand singer. And so she obviously liked the song, twisted it from How Do You Talk to Girls to How Do You Talk to Boys? And it became a top 25 hit for her. And not long ago, I dug the cassette of our recording of it yeah. And it's really good because we actually recorded it, a demo recording of oh, it, yeah. and I really liked it. I think, to be honest, most of us really liked it, yeah. but we couldn't get past the lyrics. Were you not able to like change the lyrics somehow? Or, I suppose know? we could have. We would have had to go back to Steve Kipner and, and say that. Perhaps he could have. I don't know whether that ever happened or not, but yeah. it didn't. No big deal, really. Yeah. But it was just amazing that when I heard the cassette, you know, researching the podcast... Um, that I really liked it. It sounds really good. The production's excellent, a real sort of 80s production sound, and Craig did a great job of the vocals. I'm on a computer day The result of my request The perfect mate I hope it works out better than the one last week There's that same definite silence She waits for me to speak I don't know Drive away. Oh, 
But that wasn't the only song that came our way. We got given another song by another famous songwriter called Terry Britton. Terry wrote for Cliff Richard and Tina Turner, and he wrote a lot of both those artists' biggest hits. Yeah. And he had written a song for us especially called Goosebumps. And, of course, <laughs> Mother Goose, Goosebumps, we were like, oh, oh you know, maybe. Oh, kind of. <laughs> Kind of maybe, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we had to pay $500 to Terry Britton for the song. Right. We had to pay Mushroom. He must have charged 500 bucks for it. So we heard the song and it was really cheesy to us. I know Mother Goose was, you know, could come across as being cheesy to some people who haven't seen the band or don't know much about the band, but we were not cheesy. And yeah. We were definitely not cheesy on stage. And our past records weren't cheesy. Of course, apart from... Baked beans, which people yeah. thought was obviously pretty out there. So if you're a songwriter and like you're writing songs to give to people, do you have the whole production side of the song, the music and everything, or are you just handing over the lyrics? Normally what you hear is a demo of the song. It's a fully finished song right. with instrumentation and, and a singer. Okay. Either the writer themselves have sung it, yeah. or they've got someone in a studio to record a quick version of it. So people like us get a feel for how the song is. Right. And then we took that song into a recording studio and then gave it our flavour. Someone engineered it. We yep. went in and recorded it and gave it our sound. And whoever produced it put their stamp on it. So often it sounds nothing like the demo. But, of course, the melody's the same. Yeah. The chorus is the same and the verses are the same and the lyrics are the same. Yeah. So we passed on Goosebumps, gave it back to Mushroom and said, thanks but no thanks This is for the second time. Yeah. And they got this girl singer called Christy Allen to sing it yeah. and record it. Went top 10. <laughs> so there's another opportunity kind of gone. You, yeah. know? you could argue, does that mean uh, had we had recorded it, would it have gone top 10? Yeah. Mother Goose with a song called Goosebumps. Yeah. I, I guess it could kind of stick after Baked Beans. But um, How Do You Talk To Girls, I think, was the one that I kind of think we let slip. Mm. So you had these guys trying to write you a hit song, right? Mm -hmm. So did you eventually create a hit song in the end or? Well, there you not? go. There's the, big, there's the big question. We just kept believing in what we were doing. We rejected those two songs and we just kept writing our own. Yeah. And yep, we kept like looking for our own angle and our own twist. So every time we went into a recording studio with an engineer or a producer, we would go and, and record our new batch of demos. You know, So we were always trying to write and record to see what we could do next yeah, and what songs would turn up on the next album. Some were good, some were not good. Was it a frustrating process? Yes. Yes, it was. Because even though you love the band you're in and you love the people in the band. You probably conflicted a few times. Like if two or three of you like a song and then the two others don't, then you're kind of trying to weigh up, oh, should we use that, should we not? You're exactly you know? right, and that's what I mean. You like the guys that you're with, you love the band you're in, but it doesn't mean to say you're going to like every idea that someone puts on the table. And it's hard to bring together because in our band, there were six of us. Can you imagine six opinions Yeah. trying to decide on which song is stronger than another song? Yeah. And the songwriters are sometimes a little bit more dominant Yeah. or a little bit more um, pro their song, but more domineering, let's say, almost, to push their ideas through, mm. and, and the rest of us who may be a bit sitting on the fence, well, we'll go with it because it seems to be the consensus. Yeah. That must 
be the case for so many bands all around the world. Absolutely. And like even artists, like solo artists or, you know, like trying to decide what songs to put out to the world. Yep. Like it must be so hard. Definitely. And it is hard. And I think these days it's a little different because these days you can write a bunch of songs in your bedroom and put them on Spotify. No yeah. problem. But back in the 80s where we were, we were living in record company times, you know, where bands had record labels. Yeah. So it was your job to help the record label sell your records. Yeah. So in order to do that, you needed to have a hit. Yeah. So you're always looking for the elusive hit. Yeah. And if we had a handle on how to write the biggest hit <laughs> in the world, if yeah. everyone knew how to do that, that magic formula, we'd all be rich and famous. Yeah. But unfortunately, not everyone is a Neil Finn, and not everyone's well, a, or a Paul McCartney. Although someone who sits in their bedroom and makes music can make a hit and become famous. Absolutely. You know, so, Absolutely. I mean, if you've got the talent, it can be done. It can be done. But, yeah. But back in the record company days, it was all about coming up with the next radio hit, and we were always working towards that. We got given a couple of songs, we turned them down. Who knows what could have happened? What do you think about the radio these days? And, like, is it best to try and make a song for the radio? Everyone would love a big top ten hit, I'm imagining. Yeah. Most people that are serious, decent songwriters want to have, want to see their song successful. And I think sometimes people will say, you know, don't try and write a hit for commercial success. Just write and be true to yourself. Mm. Be the writer that you are. And, yep, you might need some production help or some advice, yeah. songwriting advice to help tweak the song so it becomes more radio-friendly. But often the, the story is, you know, don't bother writing to try and get a hit. Yeah. Be true to yourself, write your music, and hope that it might stick mm. with an audience. But then, of course, you've got people like these songwriters, like I just mentioned, yeah. songwriters that for Pink and Justin Bieber and all these modern songwriters, Beyonce, some of them have got four, five, six writers attached to their name. They will churn out hits one after the other. Yeah, it's so crazy. there is an industry of songwriters that yeah. do write for artists looking for commercial hits. Yeah. You're listening to Count Four and You're In, our father and son podcast, where Harley Rodica chats to his dad, professional New Zealand drummer Marcel Rodica. So speaking of songwriting, you've done a bit of songwriting before, yep, yep. you and your friend Dennis. Yeah. What were your ambitions with your songwriting? Good question. And it's still the same ambition. And that is to see if we can write for other people. Yeah. When we decided that we've got a few ideas that could be half worth it. Yeah, yeah. And we got a couple of other people involved. We got Dave Harrison involved from Otago University's music department. He's a wonderful singer, songwriter, and musician and producer in his own right. And then we got Jack Parker, who was originally in Dunedin. He's a singer. He now moved with his band to Melbourne. So there's four of us, and we somehow believed in what we were doing mm. and started writing and recording some songs. Yeah. The idea really, there was no agenda. There was no master plan. All we wanted to do was write, like I was just saying a moment ago, yeah. write, be true to yourself, whatever comes out, comes out. We didn't want to be the artist. We ideally wanted to give them to other people. Yeah. We've had rock tunes, and we've had a country song, We've had something sort of smooth and soulful, yeah. and that's just the way they've been coming out. We're not saying, oh, let's write some hard rock songs or let's try and write a Justin Bieber hit. That's Whatever nice. happened, happened, and however its natural progression was, yeah. was the way the song turned out. 
but it's something that I absolutely love doing. You were recording that with tapes, weren't you? We were using tape decks and then digital tape decks. Yeah. And then we bought ourselves a Roland studio where it was all digital, no tapes anymore. Yeah. yeah? And then we bought an 8-track version of that. And then we bought a 16-track version of that, both of which are now obsolete. We don't use them. Yeah. And now, of course, everything's done on computer. Yeah, true. You're listening to Count Four and you're in. So you rejected those songs. What came next for you guys? Well, from there, as I may have mentioned earlier, while we're always, you know, looking for the next thing to record, we're always gigging. By this stage, we're just constantly touring. And the next thing on that front, the the target really was to get to America. Yeah. Australia has been so successful for us, live-wise, and yet we're all on the TV and all the rock shows, and, and so things have been really cranking. Yeah. We kept saying that we've got to get to America, and America seemed like the next big step. Mm. Hitting the big time, if you can call it that. Well, it was the big time. Like a top 10 in America yeah. is the big time. Yeah, yeah. You know? So working towards America was the target. We were saving money from our gigs working hard, constantly touring, as you did then, and saving money to get ourselves to America. So, How much it, did you have to save? Oh, well, thousands. We were trying to send about yeah. 10, 12 people to America. Yeah. So anyway, to get to there, we had to send our manager, Gary, to a conference in Europe called MIDEM. MIDEM was a global conference event that record company people would go from all around the world to this one three-day conference. Yeah. And that conference was all about finding new artists. So Gary, who was our manager, we sent him to Midem to start talking to record companies. Yeah. Hoping to get some Something. sort of in to America. Yeah? yeah. And so it was really good because you met lots of different record companies, as you do. And basically, you, you make time with these record labels, all these different record labels like Sony and Warner Brothers and yeah. all these others, these big global companies. And he takes our videos and recordings and demos, and he presents our band to these people, yeah. hoping that one of them will go, oh, they, they sound pretty interesting. Okay. So Gary did that, and he went away for three days and came back to Australia, and he said he had met somebody called John Kolodner. Now, that name, John Kolodner, was then a really high-profile name. Right. He looked after bands like Journey and Aerosmith. When I said looked after, he was involved in their careers. Yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't a manager. He was an A&R person, which is artist and repertoire. They're the people that go looking for new acts. Okay working on behalf of the record company. In those days, if you could get close to an A&R guy, it meant you could get close to a record company that if he liked you, he would go to the record company bosses and say, hey, I found these guys in Australia. They yeah. wear completely ridiculous outfits. They could be really promising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So John Kolodner was an A&R person, and I think he worked for Atlantic Records. Anyway, he's worked with some of the world's biggest artists. Gary met John, and John seemed pretty interested. Mm. And John was also working on behalf of a record company in LA called Scotty Brothers, distributed through Atlantic Records, for which he worked. And so Gary came back and said, I've met this guy called John Clyde, he's really well known and everyone knows him and he's, you know, he's got big connections, because that's what you're looking for, big connections. And he said, 
uh, he's coming to Australia with Foreigner cool. in a few months. He said, so him and I, when he gets here, we're going to contact each other and I'll bring him out to see you guys when Foreigner are here. Yeah. yeah? So we thought this was really, really exciting. This and is a- this, Well, it was a start, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. We've got a big American A&R person coming to see us. So as I understand it, he did come. And he came to the Footscray Institute of Technology where we were playing. Where's that? It's in Melbourne, oh, just yeah. a suburb of Melbourne. It's like a like a polytech. Okay. A lot of the universities had gigs like they do here, Refuel, and yeah. you know, it was one of those sorts of places. We were playing at this institute, and he brought John Kolodner to the gig. Yeah. And <laughs> Dennis will tell you the story, but Dennis recalls it as being a terrible gig. Yeah. Because his amp blew up halfway through. Oh, really? Yeah, which is unusual <laughs> with road crews and good yeah, gear. Yeah. It's unusual for something to just to blow up in the middle of a gig. But, of course, that was the gig that John was at. Yeah. You know, our big showcase, you know. John really loved the gig and basically said, look, the band's good. I'll go back to L.A. and when I get back there, I'll talk to Scotty Brothers and see what they say. So he went back to Scotty Brothers and they said, basically, well, if you can get yourself to L.A., We'll look after you. We'll yeah. try and help you get started in America. Nice, nice. So no, they didn't offer us a record contract straight off, but the plan was we've totally. got a connection. Yeah. We've got John Clodner and we've got Scotty Brothers and we've got an in. It's up to us get to get there. there. Yeah. So in the end, we worked hard, still kept saving, and our last gig before we went to America was at Dallas Brooks Hall with the Kevin Borich Express which was a three-piece touring band in Australia, fabulous musicians. Kevin Borich was the guitarist in the Lardy Dars, a famous New Zealand band from the 60s. Right. They were a blues rock trio, and they were also going to LA. Oh, yeah. Pretty much the same time as us. So we decided that both bands could do a concert together. So Gudinski put on a concert at Dallas Brooks Hall. We sold it out, double billed. We sold out the concert, cool. and that was our last gig before we finally headed off to seek our fame and fortune in the big US. But before we go there, next episode we'll chat to Mother Goose bassist and my dear friend, Dennis Gibbons, and get his take on the story so far. So I'm really looking forward to that. You've been listening to Count Four and You're In, a father and son podcast, where Harley Rodica chats to his dad, professional New Zealand drummer, Marcel Rodica. Listen out for the next episode. This podcast series is engineered and produced by Barry McConaughey in Dunedin, New Zealand.